Welcome to Copcast. I'm Rumbi Chakamba, Associate Editor at DevEx, and I've headed to Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt for this year's United Nations Climate Conference. In this podcast series, we bring you inside the walls of the Blue Zone for a series of in-depth conversations with climate and development leaders, asking them the big questions. What's really needed to make meaningful progress towards climate goals and what role should the development community play to support that? If we're thinking about not just the next one, two, three years, but the next 50 years, we need to put into place regenerative agroecological ecosystem farming throughout the entire world. Food systems are both impacted by climate change and are major contributors to the planet's warming. While extreme weather events such as droughts and flooding severely impact food production, estimates indicate that food systems contribute more than a third of greenhouse gas emissions. Oliver English is a chef turned food advocate and now filmmaker whose new documentary, Feeding Tomorrow, focuses on the transformative potential of regenerative agriculture. He spoke to DevEx Vice President Kate Warren on the sidelines of DevEx's event at COP27 about why support for local farmers needs to be at the heart of efforts to combat climate change. Well, I am really happy to be here with Oliver English. We are here in Charm for uh, the global premiere of your documentary, Feeding Tomorrow, uh, which I had the pleasure of watching last night at Bloomberg's event. But before we get into that, um, I wanna learn a little bit more about your story. So you grew up in the restaurant industry. Your father is probably well known to a lot of people, Todd English, famous restaurateur, chef. Uh, so you, I think, believe we're you know, growing up from probably toddler ages in the kitchens. You went into the restaurant business yourself and, and then left to become a food advocate. And so why? Tell me, tell me about that. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Kate, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and you're absolutely right. I grew up deeply immersed in the restaurant business. Uh, my parents are chefs. They met at cooking school. They opened their first restaurants together when I was right before the year before I was born. And I grew up as immersed in the restaurant business as one could be from the early age, sweeping floors, washing dishes, bussing tables. Um, bartending, serving, all the things, eventually growing into a role, designing, developing, and opening restaurants throughout the world. I studied hospitality uh, at Cornell, and so I was really in the restaurant world for my entire life. Um, Up until a couple years ago, um, I never really thought that I would be on a different trajectory, but about six years ago, I was living and working in Abu Dhabi to open a new restaurant there, and I had kind of my first aha moment and one night I was sitting at the bar, I, I ordered a big steak and potatoes, side salad, big glass of wine, a whole spread. And about halfway through my meal, I looked down and I was like, wait a minute, where did all this food come from? Uh, I'd been in the desert for you know, six weeks, hadn't seen a farm, fresh body of water. And I asked our chef to come out and we ended up having a long conversation about where each one of the ingredients came from. And it being over 10 ingredients from like six plus countries. And we talked about when the tomato was harvested, how it got to where we were, the different modes of transportation. We did this for several of the ingredients, and I started to add up the miles that it took to get there and the environmental impact. And I realized in that moment, it's kind of embarrassing looking back, but it is true. I realized that I had never asked the question, where does food come from? I never honestly thought that it may have a bigger impact on the the world around us, in particular on the environment. 
And I realized that in that moment that I was incredibly disconnected and that I had never asked those questions. And I got back to New York. I started asking some friends where the food, where they think food comes from, and they would respond, the grocery store. And I was like, oh, man, there's a bigger disconnection here for sure. And the next restaurant I was opening in the Bahamas, I sought out a local farmer to help get some local produce for the restaurant. And I, I met, ended up meeting this guy named Sakane who would end up uh, changing the trajectory of my life, honestly. And I spent several hours with this guy on his farm. He and his small family were transitioning a little piece of land into a small organic farm to grow healthy food for their community. And he shared with me the, that he was dealing with the real impacts of climate change he shared with me that he was one of the first people in his family to go more plant-based and to not develop a chronic disease. And he also shared with me, we looked into the distance and we saw these trash fires. And I said, Sakane, what's that? He said, man, there used to be 12,000 farms in the Bahamas and now there are 1,200. Everything is industrialized in the United States, shipped in on styrofoam trays, wrapped in plastic, and there's so much trash that it goes to the landfills and they burn it. And I, I saw for the first time the visible symbols of how food impacts the environment, how the environment impacts food, and how interconnected all of this was. And it was that first meeting with the farmer that I said, man, more people need to meet farmers. And my little brother was a filmmaker at the time, and I said, Sakani, I'm gonna come back and film an interview with you. And he's like, yeah, man, that's cool, whatever. And I said, no, I'll be back. And sure, th sure enough, three months later, we came back and we filmed our first interview with Sakane, and that was the beginning of Feeding Tomorrow. And from there, we started to interview other innovators working on creating more sustainable food systems, initially, you know, initially just agriculture, but then evolving into you know, healthcare, education, policy. And I became so incredibly inspired by these people who were trying to make small change in their communities up against enormous forces that are against them and against so many of us. And that was the beginning of the Feeding Tomorrow journey, which is the documentary that we shared last night. And so an unexpected turn from the restaurant business to a world of storytelling, sustainability, advocacy. And I learned over the years that the food system is a powerful vehicle for change in our world. And I'm incredibly dedicated to uh, sharing those stories moving forward. So yes, you really center farmers in this documentary and hearing their stories. Can you talk a bit about what they told you and where they see the food system being broken and how we could fix it. Absolutely. And farmers really are the rock stars here. And I think in the, in the same way that, you know, the chefs or the celebrity chefs became this, these sort of rock stars, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and, and my dad and his cohort were, were part of that um, and, and helped change the landscape of the food world in America. Um, you know, or I think farmers should be rock stars. Farmers are rock stars, and we really wanted to elevate farmers in the conscientiousness of people. And what I really think is that farmers are some of the most earnest, hardworking, grounded, passionate people that I've ever met. And they're the ones that are dealing with the challenges of climate change. They are the ones that deal with the droughts and the floods and the heat waves, and they are on the front lines of feeding the world. They're on the front lines of creating positive change. And what we hear from them is they need support, they need help, particularly organic, regenerative, sustainable farmers. The majority of the sort of federal assistance that farmers get is for large industrialized agrochemical driven agriculture. And that's where the majority of the subsidies and the, the support goes. What we're hearing is that 
these other small farmers would love some support. They, are, they continue to work hard and to bring, you know, to work to bring healthy food into the world, but they need our support. And that means consumers supporting local food production, going to the farmer's market, supporting local at the grocery store, having that direct connection. Because the more middlemen and women that there are, the less money the farmer actually gets. And the farmer actually makes very little money, generally speaking. So we need to shorten that, the distance between the farmer growing the food and the consumer eating the food. So as, as much of a direct relationship as we can have to support the farmers themselves, the more impact that we can have. The world is facing an unprecedented global food crisis. Here at DevX, we're following the state of food insecurity around the world and the solutions that are needed to overcome it. I'm Teresa Welsh, senior reporter, and I'm also the author of DevX Dish, a free weekly newsletter bringing you a comprehensive look at everything that matters in the world of food. Each Wednesday, DevX Dish will be your guide through the interlocking policy, infrastructure, climate, agriculture, nutrition, and human rights issues remaking the way food is grown and distributed. Visit devx.com newsletters to subscribe and get your weekly update on the race for a sustainable global food system. So a big topic of conversation is the growing food crisis. Right. Um, and it's easy to think, OK, well, let's think about how we can quickly get more food to more people. And your film focuses a lot on U.S. based farms. The U.S. based approach to agriculture, we often export and how we we do our food aid and, and how we do food development globally. What do you think are the you know, global implications of that and is this a moment for us to rethink how we do the food system because it is so front and center for so many people right now? Absolutely. That's a very, very, very good, very good question. I think for the past several decades, you know, first thing, everyone, every, everyone's got to eat. And I think for the past several decades, the prevailing wisdom has been, let us maximize production, let us maximize short-term profit, let's maximize short-term production. And to do that, we've introduced tremendous amounts of agrochemicals and petrochemicals to grow our food. And it has grown a lot of food. I mean, so much food, so much so that 40% of the food that's grown in the United States is wasted to the tune of over $200 billion a year in waste, which is egregious. And I think this represents a bigger shift that we need to think about in terms of moving from a short-term linear industrialized model to a long-term regenerative circular model. And if we're thinking about not just the next one, two, three years, but the next 50 years, we need to put into place regenerative agroecological ecosystem farming throughout the entire world. And what that looks like is not exactly the same throughout the world. You take the principles of regenerative agriculture and you apply them locally to different parts of the world. And many parts of the world had been doing this or are still doing this you know, for the past several hundred years. It was only since the 1970s during the Green Revolution did America, as you said, start to export this large-scale agrochemical-based industrial agriculture to other parts of the world via the, via the Green Revolution, which is the opposite of green, actually. <laughs> we need to think differently about what sustainability looks like. Growing tremendous amounts of food and shipping it to other parts of the world 
does not actually help people in the long run. Helping set up local, organic, regenerative, agroforestry, perennial systems in different parts of the world and allowing people to flourish with those native plants and with those localized conditions in different parts of the world is what is going to actually build resilience in the long run. It is what is going to provide healthy food for people in the long run. It is what is going to provide jobs and economic security in the long run. And it is the only thing that is going to keep people in the place that they are at. Right now, this model that we have of industrializing the system and sending it to different parts of the world degrades locals' ability to grow their own native food that's been grown there, whatever, whatever the part of the world is, forever. So we need to take a step back, look at 30, 50 year scope, 100 years, seven generations. We need to think big picture and long term. We've been thinking short term profit this year, that year, this year, one, two, three years out at most. And if we think about the big picture in the long term, it's about creating conditions where all peoples in the world can flourish in their part of the world based on natural agroecological -eco farming. Your film also talks about the uh, intersection with health, right, and how food is so interconnected with health. And you do feature a, a medical professional whose father was diagnosed with cancer, and she really saw how food became a very powerful medicine for him. And you talk about how food was seen as medicine for centuries uh, until this industrial agricultural complex started. Many uh, indigenous communities who are stewards of majority of biodiversity in the world, this is how they approach food. This is how they approach medicine. So what can we learn from them and what should we be doing to think about how, it's not that we need to, we don't know what to do, right? Um, so how do you think about learning from people who are already doing this well and how we can integrate that into how we do it in the US and other Western cultures? I think it begins with listening. And that's something that e even my understanding of the role and the importance of indigenous wisdom has evolved and grown over the past couple of years of learning about this work. And I think the key thing is to listen, to be humble about the shortfalls of the, the system that we know to be this industrialized normal system, and to go back and really pay homage to the fact that many of these indigenous communities are still the ones that are responsible for stewarding most of the ecosystems in the world. They've been doing it for the longest periods of time, and many of the current, you know, quote, regenerative agricultural model is based on indigenous practices, is based on holistic land management, the integration of multiple different types of crops and tree species, integrating animals using local native plants, whatever that part of the world is, and thinking about not humans as being on top of the land and controlling it, but being part of nature. You know, we are not this far away thing to control. We are living, breathing parts of nature. And when we eat food, we are literally ingesting the soil in many ways. And I think the idea of food as medicine is something that was so central to the human existence for since the beginning of time. All you look through all throughout human cultures throughout throughout time and various forms of medicinal mushrooms or different types of food have been used to help heal and promote health. And we've lost sight of that. And when I say we, I guess it's sort of the Western world and the modern way of thinking. And I think we need to humbly respect and listen to 
the folks who have been stewarding the land for the longest period of time, who have been looking at the forest as a medicine cabinet, who have been looking at nutrient-dense food as a medicine cabinet, and listen to that and, and combine so much of the ancient wisdom, which is so relevant today, even more relevant today, with some of the modern technology and approaches we have. And in that, I think we can create a, a truly sustainable food system. And food must be at the center of health. Mark talks about in our film, healthier soil, healthier plants, healthier people. That's just the way it is, it works that way. And so if we think about promoting health and living a healthy life, you know, connected to nature, it starts with the quality of the nutrients that are in our food, which starts with the quality of the nutrients that are in our soil. And that starts with the type of farm that the, that the food comes from. So let's go back to get to where we are so that we can move forward in a new direction while paying homage to the past. So I believe this is your first COP you've attended. What have been the conversations you've been having and are they giving you hope, giving you pause? You know, a lot of these are very overwhelming challenges. Uh, it can be overwhelming to think about how to approach them, but what is your kind of takeaway from this experience this week? Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a believer that more conversation is better than less. You know, it, there's, there's certainly a lot of criticism around you're not enough being done, but I think it's really important to get people around the world to the table to discuss these issues, to see each other, to hear each other, to understand the challenges. Um, I in particularly am very excited that the food system is on the sort of main docket for COP this year. Um, it is long overdue. It should have been for the past 30 years, but I'll take it. Um, and so I've had some really encouraging conversations about people interested in food and sustainability and regenerative agriculture. Uh, I'm concerned that it is not enough and that it is not happening fast enough. You know, we need to unleash massive amounts of capital to help the transformation to regenerative agriculture. We need policies to support the transformation of regenerative agriculture. I would like to see more discussions about our food system, more discussions about sustainability um, more broadly. And overall, I am encouraged, but I think we need to see more large-scale transformation, more conversations about ecosystems, about reforestation, about regeneration, um, because our food system is central to the health and stability of nations and to the health and stability of the people of those nations. It's directly linked to national security. It's directly linked to the health and the prosperity of the people of the world. And so as we think about a more climate uncertain future with more droughts and more floods and more heat waves, the only thing that is really gonna keep the ball moving forward for humanity is our ability to produce food sustainably and regeneratively. We must source our food and all of our products and all of our things, all of our raw materials from the earth in a way that participates in the stewardship and the regeneration of the earth. And that is what our food system has the capability to do. And it also has the capability to sort of represent this larger shift from degenerative to regenerative. And we must apply that shift in philosophy to all aspects and facets of business and everything else we do. Well, Oliver, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. Thank you for listening to COPcast. This was our last episode in the series. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these in-depth conversations with leading figures working on solutions to climate change. We will continue to follow the progress on agreements made at COP27 
So make sure to head to devx.com where you can find all our climate change related coverage. You can also sign up for DevEx Newswire and our other newsletters for more of our mass street coverage of global development. And if you want to share some feedback on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at DevEx and at Rumbichakamba underscore, or you can drop us an email at podcast at devx.com. Mm-hmm.